I saw this film when I was in college. Mm. So I was just a girl. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember being so moved by this film. And I think what's really so strange to me is that I don't think I knew then why it was so moving. And then when I recently screened it, it occurred to me that it's really a classic Kunstlerroman. So I think all of mm. us know what a Bildungsroman is, mm -hmm. but a Kunstlerroman is the German word. I know you know. Uh, the coming of age story of an artist. Mm -hmm. So I was really moved by the fact that when I was young, when I had no idea that I'd ever be a writer, that I'd be so affected by something like this, where one does have to leave home in order to see home again. Yeah. And, and also to make a name for oneself, like, is that a value? And so mm -hmm. all these things come up in this film. And I found myself sobbing at the screening again. Wow. And I was like, what is going on here? Wow. <laughs> so that was really cool. Welcome back to Open Forum. I'm Michael Denzel Smith. Salvatore De Vita hasn't been home to Sicily for 30 years. In that time, he has become a rich and famous film director, drawing upon his childhood love of movies. With the death of his mentor and friend, Alfredo, has Salvatore reflecting on the life he left behind, the people in place that shaped him, and finally returning for one last goodbye to the man who implored him to leave and never look back. This week's film is Cinema Paradiso, and it was chosen by Min Jin Lee, author of the National Book Award finalist, Pachinko. Uh, this was my first time seeing it. Uh, when you you chose it as as the film we were going to discuss, and you know it is it's exactly that right this coming of age story of this artist the this young boy that we meet initially we meet him as a full grown man uh, Salvatore uh, but when he was younger he was affectionately known as Toto uh, who is really in love with the with film as a kid like wants to be there the the church shows films <laughs> that's the place in his in his uh italian town where they're able to see films but they're all censored <laughs> at this time by the priest who gets to watch all of the films all the way through and then uh rings his little bell for everything to be censored that he disapproves of which is mainly kissing <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, and there is the projector uh, and who handles the film, Alfredo, who, you know, Toto Salvatore wants to befriend because he's the keeper of the film and he, he's, he has all of the knowledge. And so this friendship builds over a course of, you know, years and, and things and lots of different events. But he becomes very close to uh, Alfredo. Uh, who teaches him everything and sort of fills the role of the father that is left and in, is in presumably died uh, in World War II. Um, and you see the progression of uh, Salvatore, who grows and in, in later in life is becomes a film director and producer, uh, but has moved away from his small town. Uh, but you learn later that it's at the, uh, you know, direction uh, is uh, there was a very clear a command from alfredo upon the, his leaving he was like you leave and you don't come back and you don't you don't and i think that is the part that hit me the most um in as someone 
not from like a tiny town, but like I'm from Virginia Beach, Virginia. It is very different from New York City. Um, and it just has different things to offer and that I was I felt I was never going to grow there or become the person, the writer, the artist that I wanted to be in this place. But I had to recognize that sort of on my own. Here was, in, in Salvatore's case, he had someone who said, like, look, there's no, basically, like, there's nothing for you here. You have to get, get out and get away and forever and leave us and forget us. I want to ask you a question, Michael. Yeah. How old were you when you left Virginia Beach? I was 26. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And even though you may not have had your own Alfredo, what do you think was the thing or or the things that inspired you to come to the big city of New York? Well, I, I had I had fallen for New York already. I had I'd visited uh, at 21 uh, was my first time coming to New York. And, you know, there was something about it. I, I tell people who ask me about like that time period, I'm just like, I came to New York, I had gone through college and like didn't graduate because I fell into this huge depression, got diagnosed with anxiety disorder, was having panic attacks all the time. I came to New York and suddenly like my mind was able to like adjust to the world because like the, the city moved as fast as my mind did. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm at ease here. This is okay. And so from there it was like, all right, I just want to get there. But I was very stubborn, um, and I was like, I don't just want to live in New York. I want to be a writer in New York. And I didn't want to be like, I'm hustling and then writing on the side. I wanted to really be a writer in New York. Um, so I kind of started my freelance writing career while still living at home. And then I was able to, at some point, make enough money that I was like, okay, I can move to New York. And how long did that take? I, it took the those five years that I, I basically lived at home. Uh, yeah. I love that story. I love it because I think that we don't think about the transit and the plan and the vision and the wish and the execution of the wish mm. in order to be an artist in the world. And it's so hard to be a writer yeah. in the world. I mean, gosh, <laughs> like I, I think people look at us and go like, oh, well, they figured it out. Right, they're, they're, they're having, they're able to talk about a film on LitHub. I mean, it must be made. <laughs> and it's very funny because I'll tell my students, you know, when I sell a paperback copy of a book, I make like a dollar and fifteen cents. Mm -hmm. Like, what's yeah. one copy? Yeah. And then I'll say, I'll, I can have a standing room only reading, and if I sell fifty copies, I've made like fifty dollars. Yes. A little bit yes. over, and yes. they look at me like. Oh my gosh, that's impossible. And I'm going, no, I'm telling you because I love you. Right. <laughs> and I want you to eat. <laughs> have health insurance. So I think what's really amazing about this film is when you look at the trends of the 30 years, mm -hmm. it feels very accurate to me that you mm -hmm. can look back at home and go, what was all this about? Like, yeah. how, why did I have to leave? And, you know, five years in, that's what you're talking about, and from 21 to 26, and now you said you're 35, and I'm 53 years old. I saw this film when I was, I guess, 19, mm. almost 19, not even quite 20. And at that time in my life, I didn't know that I would be a writer. As a matter of fact, that seems so 
impossible to mm -hmm. me. Like even when you said 21, you thought, oh, I want to be a writer and I'm going to get ready and I'm going to save and I'm going to get, you know, be able to do this. Yeah. And it took five years. It took me, gosh, like I quit being an attorney when I was 26. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I'm going to be a writer. I'm yeah. going to be a writer. And at the time I was married. I mean, I'm still married, but we were just newly married. And we didn't have enough money to pay the mortgage Wow. because I quit being a lawyer. And my husband couldn't um, like buy lunch because yeah. <laughs> we were so yeah. tight. They were packing lunches for him and he'd have to go to his company and nobody else packed lunch because yeah. that wasn't considered something that you do at a bank. But we made these, you know, adjustments and I thought oh, I'm going to become a writer and be successful right away. But no one told me that when you sold the paperback, you make a dollar. <laughs> 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 like, I really thought like, Oh, I'm so clever. Yeah. I'll be able to make my $83,000 a year like mm -hmm. that as a writer. Mm -hmm. And um, that doesn't, doesn't happen really <laughs> that's not exactly how it works out but it does bring up something interesting that i think the film is kind of grappling with even if not to the extent of like the relationship between salvatore and and alfredo it is about what sacrifices mu must be made right because he leaves and alfredo is not his like biological family he does have a mother and a sister that he is with and Alfredo tells him, leave, forget us, never come back. And he takes that to heart. And he's never come back to see his mother and his sister. And like he, he's basically severed these ties of family in order to achieve this. And, you know, you're talking about sort of like the, the necessities of the financial demands that are placed upon the artist and how difficult that is. But I think that there's something like that. To, to, to that this film has to say about that emotional sacrifice that is that he felt necessary but it, it it is a question about like how far did he need to go actually and also the relational sacrifices the actual mm -hmm. physical time that you can spend and i think for me i don't know how you felt about this but i thought can i have a family mm -hmm. can i be a wife can I be a mother? Can I be a good sister? Can I be a good friend? Like right now, there are a lot of things I can't do for my friends because yeah. I've decided, well, I have, let's say, four free hours a week to do X. I mean, I have five jobs. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. don't know how many jobs you got, but. About five. <laughs> About five. Yeah. <laughs> like I have five paying jobs. And then mm -hmm. I also have like two jobs that are not paying, but that require real time. Mm -hmm. And. I kind of think, well, then if I have X number of hours per week that I can hang out, then, and if I see my parents, let's say, that means that I'm actually a really shitty friend. Mm. And I keep thinking, like, at some point, someone's going to say, you know, um, I'm glad you were there for all these people, but you weren't there for me. And I'd mm -hmm. have to say guilty. Yeah. Guilty. Like, I used to be a much better friend than I am now. And I guess I could give up one of my jobs. <laughs> You, you could but like. <laughs> and, and you know it's really it's, it's just a really interesting quandary because i remember not having any jobs i remember mm -hmm. trying to figure out well how am i going to find one freelance gig to pay me 300 dollars? like mm -hmm. how am i going to do that and i remember mm -hmm. that was really really hard and now it's like I, I get a job and i'm going like can i take this one like is it worth taking this one versus that one and those kinds of questions are really important because 
what kind of artist do you want to be? Right. Like, what kind of writer do you want to be? And right. I've had to make some tough decisions. I think everybody has to make these tough decisions. Yeah. And, you know, do you, you say that about, like, if someone were to basically check check you and say, like, you've been a shitty friend, it's like, his mo- like, Salvatore's mother is essentially saying, you've been a shitty son, right? Like, she doesn't right. say it out loud, but when he comes back for Alfredo's funeral, this is the sort of impetus of, like, his remembering, and that's what the film is, essentially. Uh, he says, you know, she's like, are you tired? Have you, like... You, you still have some time to rest before the flight. And he's like, oh, it only takes an hour. And she's like, don't say that when you, and it's been all this time. And she's basically, like, she's saying, you have neglected me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You've neglected me and it was so easy for you. It was so easy. It was easy. so e- easy for you and you couldn't come home. And my understanding from that cut, because there's two cuts of cinema parody. So mm-hmm. we saw the shorter version, which is what everybody saw. And my understanding is that maybe she visited him sometimes in Rome. Yeah. And certainly they were talking on the phone. Yeah. Right? Because So it wasn't like it was impossible, but he didn't go home. And part of it's because, I guess, he felt that missional charge that Alfredo mm-hmm. gives him and says, go out there and be not somebody who talks, but someone that other people talk about. Yeah. And by that, he meant somebody with great name recognition mm-hmm. and a, you know international reputation. And he was saying... Go make a name for yourself because it's not going to happen here. Yeah, and you know, as you and I, we here we are in New York City, where everybody around us is you know, incredible right. <laughs> and so talented, and they too had the missional charge to go out. There. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it's um, it's always humbling because in New York, you're always like, oh yeah, that person is smarter, wealthier, better looking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. More talented has created better stuff. Yeah. he seems to have taken that charge from alfredo so seriously um but i feel that it it is very clear like how much he loves and values Alfredo to to really take that advice seriously, that command, that missional charge, as you put it, very seriously. But it also means that he's never questioned like where that comes from for Alfredo, right? Like why Alfredo would tell him to leave and never come back to this place. What is Alfredo like? What is what are his sort of like? What are his demons that he's wrestling with and trying to excise through Salvatore and trying to, you know, like live vicariously through him? Like, what is all of that? He never really questions that. Well, I was thinking about what you just said right now, because I was thinking that he has watched some of those films hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. Right. And he has memorized all those lines. And I was thinking about how much like what you consume is what you become. Yeah. And he has consumed all this fantasy, yeah, all this beautiful fantasy of 
filmmakers around the world these storytellers have said this is the way the world is and it all consummates in this kiss in this love Mm -hmm. and then right so that's the goal and so he's saying like i believe in romance and you're not going to find it here this is not where you're going to find it and therefore you have to go out there and you actually either have to be a storyteller or you have to go do something in which you become a great person but in a way alfredo is a wise man but also a foolish one Mm -hmm. because are those stories true yeah right i mean you and i are writers so we tell stories like we take all the chaos of life and we try to try to create the cosmos of it right yeah and we try to say this is what it means this is what it means to be dennis rodman you know which is a piece you recently had like this is what it means to be uh koreans in japan at a certain mm-hmm. time like so we're writing about these things and we're saying this is michael's point of view this is minjin's point of view this is our story well, we're just telling a story. I mean, we could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have never considered that I could be wrong. <laughs> okay, no, you're right, but I could be wrong. I mean, no, no, true. Get, no, true. Sometimes I get these letters, right? Yeah. Sometimes I get these letters, and like, it's like, oh, you have presented the story of Korea, and I'm going like, I did? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm always like, oh, please, please put a footnote saying that yeah. that was what I said, but it isn't necessarily everything. Like, there has to be more. Right. You know? Yeah. So, Alfredo, he tells the young man this, and like a father, he says it's out of love, out of good intention. But if every single person left their hometown to go make a name for himself, like, what happens to all of us? How about those who left behind? Like, how about the sister who stays and takes yeah. care of the mother? Like, what's her life, right? Yeah. It's a beautiful life, too. Yeah. I think that, that yeah, that's a thing that we, we sort of, we, we really undervalue, right? Or it's the, the idea that, like, Salvatore's success in becoming a film director and living this life of, it seems like immense wealth and privilege that he's created and that he lives in Rome and he's traveling and can afford to just hop on a plane day of and, and go to to Alfredo's funeral. And that, you know, he seemingly probably is taking care of his mother. It seems that he's able to do that. Um, that that's the life, right? Like that is, that is the aspiration. That is what we should be searching for. And that's what this film wants us to, to sort of admire in a way without looking at exactly what you just said. Like what is his sister's life and what beauty could be found there if we're, right. we're willing to look at it as, as beautiful? Right. And does success justify abandonment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if I'm a shitty friend because I'm really busy, like, is it okay if I do well in the world? I don't know. I really don't know. And there are a lot of times where I have to constantly think about if I miss that dinner, if I don't go to that funeral, like there are moments in one's life that are really critical. Mm -hmm. And the people who showed up for you are like, oh, they love me. And it's not because they're not busy, because we could always be doing something. <laughs> you, can be look, you can be looking at Twitter and I could be important to you. <laughs> but then did you show up? Did you call me? Like lately, there have been so many people who have um, taken their lives. Mm-hmm. That's been in really widespread. And I've been 
really affected by it. Somebody that I knew when I was a little girl in high school uh, recently died last year mm. and he killed himself and he had all the appearance of a perfect life. So, you know, he had sons, he had, he had two sons, he was married to a really wonderful person and he was a much admired professor. And when I had the news that he died, I remember thinking like, and I guess this is the reason why maybe I'm overwhelmed with guilt lately about the quality of me being there for people. Mm. I was so struck by like, well, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. And I was so sorry. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how all of us are constantly feeling this way. And I'm not saying that I could have made a difference or any other person could have made a difference. Like, it's really like you have to sort of respect what mental illness is. I mean, I have depression and anxiety like mm -hmm. you do. I also have OCD. You know, this is obviously um, a mirror that you and I are having today. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we don't understand how these things work for people. But I do know this. I do know that there have been conversations that I've had with my friends who have made me feel better. Yeah. Who have made me feel loved and accepted and that I can have the strength for another day. So, you know, it, part of it's, yes, we create things and those things that we make have meaning. And part of it's also the day to day of someone just saying like, Hey, how's your coffee? Mm. Right. Or telling you a joke. Yeah. I mean, that's so true. And, and and also, part of what I think the entirety of this film is about when you consider all of the context of what's happening, right? This is a post-World War II film set in Italy, right? Mm -hmm. from, like, from Italy, right? Like a country defeated in that, in that very war. And you see Alfredo, and you, you were, like you were saying earlier about this sort of, uh, his consumption of all of these films and how it's all fantasy it's like it is that desire for escape right like like it is a, a country that just was a part of a war that it lost lost you know many people who in the course of that war many people who died uh you know the the political infrastructure falling because of the the fall of mussolini like like all of this the desire is there for just an escape for someone to be there for you to be able to say how's your coffee but if there's no one there like physically for like that that you could turn to here, someone like an Alfredo and even a Salvatore at, at that young age is turning to art, turning to films specifically here as that means of escape and that means of, of finding solace in, within that chaos. Absolutely. And I think that this hunger that we have when there is no money for milk, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There's that scene when the mother is chiding the young Salvatore because he has spent his the 50 lira to go to the movies instead of buy milk for the family. And you could see her despair. Yeah. Like, oh my God, we needed that milk. And yeah. you have that sort of Jack and the Beanstalk kind of I, I, you know, narrative in that. Mm -hmm. Or and there's a there's a Chinese proverb, and I'm not Chinese, but I've always loved this proverb, which says, if you have two pennies, you buy a loaf with one penny and you buy a lily with the other. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved this idea that even the 
poorest among us, we still really crave beauty. Like it's so important. Absolutely. It's nourishment for us. And very often people think that poor people don't need those things. We're like, no, we actually need it more than anybody else because mm -hmm. what we see is so ugly. Yeah. So in order for us to continue another day, we need to have extraordinary sublime experiences presented to us rather than garbage because we do see the rats and we do see the garbage. We do see all the, the horror of yeah. life. You know, I think it's so present when you're poor and I think that what was really moving to me is this whole idea that, you know, is it faith? Is it the church that mm. presents the answer? Is it film that presents the answer? Is it storytelling or is it both? And also what is a relationship with, with each other? What I did think was really good about this film is how Tornatore is respectful of the church, even mm. as it's censored. It's not this yeah. demon. It's actually this kind of, living presence and fallible and i really like that very much it kind of reminded me very much of um you know in baldwin's essays you see and he's very mm -hmm. present here in my mind because i live in harlem this whole mm -hmm. idea of you have the liquor store you have the churches and you also have all the love and you also have the, the drug addicts like you have all of it and they're interacting and there's a kind of gentleness in the way he sees every single person yeah and there was a gentleness in this film, which I lately, I just really need more gentleness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is not, it, it is not levying very much critique of the people that populate the film. Right. It is saying right. it is, it is more of a love letter to their existence and their striving in the various ways that they have. So like, yes, a, a young Salvatore probably wants to see the film uncut but the priest will not allow that. But still that priest attempted to see him off the day that he left. You know, like, like it is not about the clash. It is not about like the idea that, you know, we are at odds with one another on the basis of our ideas. Uh, it is to say, I see you, I value you for, for your being. And I, I you know, in, in my my heart of hearts, that's what I want to everything. To me, I, obviously, I'm sort of like, well, if our ideas clash in a way that just feels incompatible, like we just we're just not gonna get along. We're just I'm just not gonna try to make community with you. But I want to be able to get to where this film actually gets. That it's like. I see you. I value you for you being exactly who you are. Yeah. Because there's even a, there's a lot of political commentary in this film, mm -hmm. but it's presented in this way that is acceptable. It doesn't make you feel a sense of revulsion. So you have organized crime. It's very present. Mm -hmm. it's, this is happening in Sicily, yeah. the poorest part of Italy. So it's not just about the ruling class. This is not about Rome or Milan. This is about a young outsider who wants to be an artist who doesn't even know in his mind that he wants to be an artist yeah right he's told to be an artist by somebody who's not an artist either yeah he doesn't know yeah <laughs> so he can be like oh yeah call this number and that's my agent <laughs> just get out of here <laughs> just get out of here just like don't become a fisherman and don't do this for a living where you can like lose your eyes like there's no health insurance <laughs> um so like when you see the person who's persecuted by the organized a crime sort of syndicate who hands out work, the mm. opportunities for work, and that family goes to Germany 
and he's perceived to be a communist, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, go find Stalin. And like that commentary, that I don't I don't think it's the C story or the D story or the E story, but it's in there. Mm-hmm. And it's there because it's telling us, I'm not going to, I don't know, I'm not going to sweeten or sugarcoat what it was like. Yeah. But it was there. And even as a, a children are going away and the family's going away, you realize like even how children have to hate each other. And there's a, there's a little boy who mm-hmm. refuses to kiss him goodbye. Yeah. Right. And that, that really affected me. Like, thank you for putting that in there. I, I wanted that in there because that is how children learn how to hate each other. Controlli le giunte. Appena è pronto, può partire. Va bene, dottor. Complimenti per firme, gaiardissimo. Grazie. The, the part that I, I of, of all of that that we're, we're sort of discussing and, and thinking about the priests sitting there watching the films in order to censor them, I just think about that like a lot in that like in order for him to decide what is acceptable for the for the rest of the town to see, he has to sit through it. And for me, it's just like thinking about any conversation around like that, especially that we're having now around different books being banned and all of this stuff that like in order for you to in, to decide what material should not be acceptable, you have to engage that material. And sure. then it, it gives lie to the very thing that you're saying, because if you if you are then saying that the material has the ability to corrupt, well, then you've been corrupted. Because you were, you were the person, you had to consume it. And if you've consumed it, you, what you're selling me is that by consuming this, people become corrupted. So you have become corrupted. And no one would ever say that of themselves. No one would ever sit and, and say that like by, by consuming it in order to know that it's bad, that I've been corrupted. I think about this all the time about censorship and also filtering. And also, I'm a parent. Mm. So as a parent, and my son is 24 years old now. <laughs> so, and as a young mother, I remember thinking, like, well, what should Sam see? What mm. should Sam not? What should Sam not see? Right? Like, what kind of games should he play? What should he not play? And what you learn very quickly is that everything that's on television, like regular television, is significantly worse than what's in a book. <laughs> so if you're really honest, <laughs> like, like let the kid read whatever he wants to read because uh, you will see more like, tolerance for sex, for drugs. Like that's very scary. It's one thing for you and me to, as adults to say, oh yeah, well, you know, he smokes a lot of pot, but he's a really great guy and he gets all of his work done. When you're a parent, you're not thinking like, oh, yeah, let mm. my 14-year-old have as much pot as he wants to. Like, if yeah. any parent says that to me, I say bullshit. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to call bullshit right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, because you don't feel that way. Like, as a responsible parent, you wouldn't say that to for a 14-year-old. Like, let's say if he has a job and he's perfectly functional and this is part of his um, 
I guess it's medication. Like it's, it, it, you have a different point of view, but, and I certainly believe in the legalization of marijuana, but it's, it's really tricky about censorship, about forbidding and setting these rules. And I think we're not having honest conversations about that. And I think that when you have these sort of trigger reactions, like you can't read this book and then you try to enforce it. Mm. I always want to talk to that parent and go, exactly how much of this do you know? Yeah. Like how involved are you really in your child's life? Like, do you know what goes on in this heart? And I say this not because I'm a parent, but because I'm a college professor. Mm. I know what my students are writing about. Yeah. I know what they care about. I know their secrets. Like, I'm not going to tell them here. No, please don't. I have read their I have read their essays in which they have talked about the things that make their hearts bleed. Yeah. And I think your parents don't know you. Like, I may think I know my son, but if I know my college students, I go, no, I don't know my son. It would be mm. honest to say I don't know him as well as I think I do. Yeah. So all these parents are out there, these local boards trying to say, don't read, you know, my friend Jackie Woodson's book or Ta-Nehisi Coates or I don't read uh, books about uh, gay love. Like, I'm like thinking, seriously, do you have any idea how many things your kids are doing in college that I know about? <laughs> you have no clue. It's the thing. I think it's it's such, I think it's such a Western ideal that, the nuclear family is the the unit that impo- like exercises the most influence on the on the person on on a person's personhood and such that parents have the ultimate control and that like they are going to shape a child into whatever person they become through their will and it's like they exist in a world and they have friends and media and all of these influences they are going to be consuming lots and and having experiences with one another they're going to be doing all of these different things and it's just it's this lie that you know parents are the most influential like parents i would say i would just say like exercise so little influence on what actually their children are seeing and experiencing and so to and and i think you know to come back to the film it's like these kids are finding relationships and you know mentorship outside of the family all the time alfredo is not salvatore's biological parent or uncle or anything like that but he finds kinship with him over in this bond via film that they then have like have a lifelong friendship that like leads him to give him the 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 most direct and commanding advice of his life that determines his entire trajectory so the idea that like that comes up against probably what his mother wanted and what his sister wanted but he followed what alfredo was telling him because of the 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 level of that bond and i i say all that to just say that like the idea of uh censorship on the basis of parents wanting to define for what define what their children are going to be exposed to simply just denies a reality in which they cannot impose those things in any way that is going to be followed outside of their own household oh completely it's vanity and it's anxiety it's a combination and it's hubris 
that said, like in my tiny, tiny defense of these parents who I don't agree with, <laughs> they believe they're motivated by, motivated by love. Yes, they do. They do, because I've talked to them. I've talked to these people. And then I also think what's interesting about these parents is that they're really anti-democratic. Mm. Because not all these mothers and fathers have the time and the ability or even the knowledge to go out there and go to these board meetings mm-hmm. and to make their case. And they don't have the influence to do it. The yeah. reality of America is that most, not quite half, but a little bit less than half of the children in this country are being raised by single parent households. Mm-hmm. Right? And these moms, usually moms, do not have the time to say, oh, my kid can't read X, Y, Z. When in fact, it may be those children who actually need those books. Yeah. And I find that to be really anti-democratic. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you for seeing in them what good there is, men. Lessons from the film. We see (laughs) the good in all of those around. Golly, there's so much love in this film. And Mm -hmm. you can feel it. You can feel how much the director and the storyteller cares about people. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's really one of the testaments of great classics is very often the creator loved human beings. Yeah. I can always tell when the creator, and I I use the word creator or the artist, like in sort of like an expansive way, Mm -hmm. because I think about what what makes a classic all the time. I'm asked to speak about what classics are all the time. I can always tell, like, that person is a generous soul. Yeah. You can always tell because rather than that person's really smart. Like, Mm -hmm. I have seen creators who are really, really smart. And I can tell by the flintiness of their words Mm -hmm. or the flintiness of their vision there's a kind of pointiness and a kind of clarity and also sometimes it can be really brilliant but then i think it's too much like i can't handle too much of it because Mm. it's so unkind yeah like i can't live with it for a long time i can be like i I can appreciate you for about half an hour that's about it (laughs) 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 because it's starting to hurt or I might recognize people that I care about who might hold those horrible views that you hate. Mm. And then I think, well, what am I going to do with that? It's kind of like, you know, like there aren't there people in your family. You're kind of going like, (laughs) I I love you, uncle, you know, Jim, whatever. But then you're like, how could you say that? (laughs) Oh man, you don't even know the half. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I do. I have your family too. (laughs) We all do, right? Min, what is one lasting image that sticks with you from Cinema Paradiso? I think the train station. Mm. I think the goodbye. And I think it's meant to be an important climax in the story. And it's very funny because the Elena, the love story part is important, Mm. but it becomes so much less important in the cut that the world saw. Mm -hmm. And that train station, when you get the charge from Alfredo to Salvatore, don't come back, that whispering, it reminded me of a story that a friend of mine told me when um, I was in law school, I think. He was telling me how he went to college and they didn't have much money. It's a Korean young, a young Korean man and his father, who was an immigrant, put um, 
10 $100 bills into an envelope and gave it to him, my mm. friend, and said, don't come home. Uh-huh. Go to college and the rest of it, you're going to have to figure out. Uh-huh. And he did. And he did. And now, you know, my friend is doing very well in the world. And that train station scene really reminded me of my friend who had this experience mm-hmm. of being said, like, you're going to go to college. You're the first person in our family to go to college. And here's your thousand dollars. And even then, even in the late eighties, that's not a lot of money to pay for college. Right. And I remember my friend had to drive cabs and also sell fruit from the back of his car in order to like make money in the summertime to Mm. make for the year. And then he also had to have other summer jobs, uh, other part-time jobs. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminded me of like, what kind of sacrifices do you have to make? And then also my friend's story is a happy story. Like Shanem Paradiso is a happy story. Not everybody can actually bear that weight of that chart. Yeah. Right. Minjin, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, Michael, it was so fun. Thank you for hanging out with me. Thanks for listening to Open Form, a podcast from Lit Hub Radio, produced by Eliza Smith and Justin Alvarez, and hosted by me, Michael Denzel Smith. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe to Open Form wherever you get your podcasts, and or sign up for the Lit Hub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. Next week, an intergenerational story of mothers and daughters struggling to understand each other, but have more in common than they think.